0: Hey, welcome back to Trench Run Report. Uh, This is the Bad Batch Talk. I'm your host, Justin Gray, uh, back from uh, Galaxy's Edge, and here with me is Aaron Russo checking
1: in.
2: Sean McAnally checking in. And David Brooklander. Hello, everyone.
0: And uh, the the first episode of the Bad Batch was released on May the 4th, Star Wars Day, which was uh, earlier in the week. And then they released the second episode on Fridays where they will be releasing it. Uh, each Friday from now on. Okay, so David will give a short summary on the episode, and then uh, we'll talk about it in a review kind of style, and then uh, Aaron will talk about episode two, and then we'll talk about it in a review and kind of style as well. Take
2: it away, David. Yeah, so yeah, talk about a one hour episode in, in a short two to three minute span is uh, more than just a challenge because of how great it was. So yeah, it started out with uh, kind of a continuation of the Clone Wars with Bad Batch coming in to help out uh, Deepa Balaba and Caleb Doom um, right before Order 66 happens. So then we got to see that transpire. Their kind of confusion with what was going on because of with their enhancements and inhibitor chip wasn't activated within them, so they never really were a part of Order 66. But then as the episode goes along, Crosshair kind of becomes transitioned almost kind of like regular troopers in Executing Order 66, which kind of adds a cool conflict to their relationship and how that kind of falls apart as the episode goes along. So they end up going back to Kamino and there's a briefing where it shows Emperor Palpatine doing his speech before the Senate, where he declares a safe and secure society. Um, And it kind of goes in with their struggle for kind of trying to find their place in the Empire. Uh, the clone troopers becoming rather hardened, like kind of like what you see the stormtroopers in uh, 4, 5, and 6. In their kind of relationship with Omega, which is, according to you know, some rumors and theories, who might be the last clone and who ends up being an enhanced clone like themselves, they end up uh, getting caught in Kamino trying to escape uh, after a, a mission uh, where there's multiple conflicts going on within the Bad Batch and Tarkin tests them and basically the turns crosshair against him by activating or increasing the intensity of his inhibitor chip and the, the episode ends with them escaping Camino to go find a, a friend of theirs that will help them kind of along their quest. Yeah, well
0: put. So uh, let's break this uh, down, uh, talk about
1: our likes and dislikes. Um, we'll start with uh, Aaron. Uh, yeah, I mean, I really, I really, really, really like this episode. Um, I will be honest that going in, like, so when, when Bad Batch in season seven of Clone Wars, I did not like, I thought they were mediocre at best. I didn't ha- I didn't have a strong impression of that at all. Um, it just felt totally separate from the rest of the season. So then when they announced that they were doing a whole series, it put me in my classic Star Wars fan mode, like. I'm not super excited about that, but I already know I'm going to watch every bit of it. Like, Maybe. <laughs> like, like I, I'm i so addicted to Star Wars that even if something comes out, like, if they said a remake of the holiday special, I'd probably still watch it, right? So, But my expectations for the show were low, and as the build-up for the, the show came up, I was like, okay, I started to get a little bit excited about it. Um, so my expectations were low, so when I went into it and watched the first episode, I was blown away by how good it was. Um, it, far exceeded what i expected it to be everything that i was worried about which there was two things that i was worried about going into the episode one was is the bad batch going to be for me as annoying as they were the first time cuz i just didn't find them i didn't find them entertaining and number two was was this going to be something that would be at least initially like framed in the star wars universe like in a storyline that i can like re- can understand like or is it just going to be here's the bad batch doing random bad batch oh, or whatever um and so i was really really surprised by number one for some reason i don't know if it was the writing or what it was but like the bad batch just grew on me almost instantly like their chemistry and their camaraderie was hilarious and like the way that they all kind of ribbed each other was just was funny and i mean even wrecker who i found i did not like Recker. And I just fell in love with him. Like, he was hilarious. And, like, he had that little stuffed animal. And I was just like, who is this guy? <laughs> like, what's going on? Um, I was just blown away. The whole, you know, Order 66 being the kickoff was epic and just totally blew me away. All of the, the way that they, they put the Bad Batch right in the middle of a storyline that none of us have ever seen before. Like, what was it like to be a clone right after Order 66 and the wars ended? Which I... To my knowledge, it has never really been fully fleshed out in canon. And I thought it was just, wow. There was so many interesting things, you know, like so many times when you were like, ooh, yeah, what would that be like? Or ooh, how were the clones after? Oh, they were totally, and what, what, what would that be you know, like? Even like Tarkin showing up on Camino, right? Like bringing the prequels and the original trilogy together in that scene and like having that conversation, you know, like he's like, there's, there's no Republic anymore, you know, and like things are different now. So many things about the episode that I thought were just interesting. Going, having that interaction with Saga era and what's the, you know, the origins of some of the rebellion was super cool. Um, So I love how, I just loved it. I loved how they took the Bad Batch and made them like the focal point of us traveling through this this timeline Mm -hmm. um, in Star Wars. And I think they did it really, really well. Um, I loved, I thought Omega for being what is the traditional annoying kid character was actually really really good especially in episode two which we'll get to later um but yeah I got all kinds of questions about Omega I think that that that's something I'd like to explore even on a separate episode completely like that's there's something going on there there's something going on there and I don't know who I, I think I think the Kaminoans might be the most knowledgeable of. I think they did something very specific that nobody else knows about um but yeah, lots of interesting stuff about that. Um, but overall, love the episode. As far as dislikes, um, I don't know that there were... I didn't have any strong dislikes of the episode, in this of this particular episode. Nothing jumps out at me as dislikable. Um, uh, yeah, I, I just... I was really, really over the moon with this. I thought it was just a great, you know... And they took an hour and 15 minutes and I was never bored or like... Mm -hmm. you know like oh this is not keeping my attention or whatever i mean there were there were some some of the portions maybe of the prison when they were locked up together that were a little like they spent a lot of time with those characters just in that little cell which was maybe a little bit odd um but even that was like really interesting like how that those characters all developed there um maybe the only thing i would i was i was a little bit turned off by was just like i said before like how like the clone troopers were all just instant, like, total assholes. Like, they were just dicks to everybody, even to each other. It was just, which was interesting. I don't know what to make of that or if that matters all that much, but it was just kind of weird. Like, Clone Wars, we spent all this time falling in love with these guys, you know? It's like the whole magic of Clone Wars. And now they're just all jerks except for the Bad Batch. And, I mean, mm-hmm. Rex is somewhere out there being a good guy still, but, but the clones are all just, like like picking fights, you know, and throwing food at each other. And even like getting into an argument in the cafeteria with a little kid, like they're just total jerks, which threw me off a little bit, but that was the story, I guess. So That's my restrained response to like and dislike. I could go on and on, but it was great. It just really hit me right where I needed to be hit and I loved it.
0: All right, Uh, Sean, what were your thoughts on it?
3: Yeah. So I watched it with Aaron and with David at Aaron's place. And I too um, went in with neutral expectations. Like I wasn't, um, I thought that the season seven bad batch episodes were take it or leave it um, kind of tacked on, I guess. I don't know if they knew they were setting up a series around it, but it was, you know, just a side adventure for me. Um, But then this, yeah, this really stepped up the expectations and I'm like, I'm watching it and we can discuss this question. Is this clone Wars season eight, right? Um, Is Dave Filoni sneaking in season eight of clone wars with the show? (laughs) Um, And I guess I didn't even realize till it started that this was going to be set in the very early Empire era. Um, I guess I thought that it would be a Clone Wars story, but it is refreshing that it is this wide open kind of 10 years post Revenge of the Sith era that they can really start fleshing out with the show. I don't know if they're going to do any time jumps or anything, but that is a blank canvas as far as the TV or movies uh, or just like on the screen portion of the story. And so that's pretty cool to see that situated there. I guess I also found Wrecker to be more... Um, he's toned down maybe a little bit, or he's more lovable here than he was in Season 7. Uh, he's kind of annoying in Season 7. Uh, I like tech. He's my favorite. I just like identify with him, I guess, because he's kind of the nerdy tech guy. Um, and uh, I do agree with Aaron. I think there is something with Omega. I have some thoughts or theories, or the Internet has theories, and there's something there It this it reminds me a lot, especially with episode two, it's just, it hits a lot of the same beats as Mandalorian season one, episode one and two with the introduction of like this kind of a child that our characters have to care for and like make a decision about whether this person's going to be part of their story or not. And they're kind of at first trying to slough them off and then, you know, reunite or decide that, oh, you're one of us now, or you're part of my tribe now. Um, is very much the same beats that you saw with Mandalorian. And I liked that. Um, I felt like the animation style at the beginning was very similar. To how Clone Wars ended where it was that kind of washed out art style. Um, it looked really cool and I just I felt like they had a little bit of a spin uh, at the beginning that they changed halfway through back to the more conventional style. Did anyone else notice like a, a different art style at the beginning during Order 66? I didn't. Mm-hmm. It just right. seems like as cell shading the word, the kind of more video game looking than animated show looking. I don't know, I like it but they made a distinct look for that part I think probably because it's somewhat of a flashback to where the story ultimately goes but I thought it was neat I thought um I guess the only dislike I had was I feel like they had to use Freddie Prince Jr. so that we knew it was Canaan, <laughs> but like it did not fit this 12 year old kid or whatever he is supposed to be I was just like wow this kid is all kinds of teenager right he's got like his 35 year old voice in his 12 <laughs> but I don't like we wouldn't have like oh Caleb Dune is like oh is that Cal Castus like we wouldn't have known that the casual viewer might not have understood who that was except for the voice gives their way. Maybe. I don't know. That was weird. A little off-putting. I, I was,
1: um, I was actually, um, uh, I didn't really pick up on it the first time I, we watched it. And then on the way here, I was kind of listen watching episode <laughs> one again, just to kind of refresh my memory. And like, so I wasn't paying as much visual attention. And so I was more listening. And when I was more listening, I was like, holy crap that is not a kid like that is not like that's canon with what, what mm-hmm. like, and you could really hear like yeah that didn't quite work i mean i guess it kind of was like it kind of reminded me of like how when luke showed up in the end of it mandalorian it was
3: like oh like that's awesome but that does look a little strange but still uh-huh. still really good <laughs> so david is this now canon because i heard and you were mentioning when you were watching this that there is a different way that that plays out in comics or in a book um and, and what do you, we think, like, is there two canons at once or is this overriding that, even though they're both Disney, or yeah. Disney products, you know?
2: So as far as that goes, uh, and from what I've seen from other sources on YouTube and stuff like that, anything that is put into TV format or anything like that, that becomes the official canon. So it does override uh, the comic version, which is where they're actually on a different planet, I don't remember which one it was exactly, but Deepa Blaba and Caleb get attacked by the clones and they actually hold them off for a while, then they get overwhelmed, that's when she tells him to run. So I I haven't seen or heard anything as far as why they decided to go that route, but I have a feeling that Dave Filoni and them decided to pick Deepa Blaba and Caleb because they're a well-known character within Rebels. So for decently casual fans to the hardcore fans, it adds a little more on-screen character development. And a funny fact about Deepa Blaba, I didn't remember this, but I actually saw something on social media last night that she is actually in The Phantom Menace. But the actual character, Deepa Blaba, is in the ceremony yeah. in The Phantom Menace. So I'm like, oh, that, that's pretty cool. But yes, yeah, so as far as I know and what I've seen, what is in bad batch is now the official canon
1: i think we have that we have that in the parking lot to explore that more right yeah mm-hmm. i want to hear david's <laughs> like and dislike
2: oh okay yeah aren't you supposed to do it too <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah um overall i really enjoyed it more for more reasons than just i'm the eu guy um i really loved the fact that they did bring in order 66 um because i remember talking with you aaron beforehand because we were kind of Picking each other's brains as far as what we were thinking, what we were expecting. And I mentioned, I think we'll, we're going to see something with Order 66. They're not going to be taking part of it, but it's going to happen and they're going to be in that environment. Um, and that's exactly what they did. Um, I really liked what they did with kale Doom. Um, how he's got kind of like that little cockiness swag at first, like he, does in, like he has in Rebels. Because Hunter goes, we move fast. He goes, good. That's the only <laughs> way I know. <laughs> I'm like, that's that's totally his character. Whenever he's joking with Ezra or right. with um, uh, Hera. Hera, yeah. So I thought that was a good tie in. Uh, they got his lightsaber right, same hilt. I uh, really enjoyed that. I also enjoyed seeing the fighting style of Deva Boba because she makes that pose, which is the exact training pose and fighting pose that's in the actual comics. So them drawing that into the actual TV show, I thought was really cool. And then there's the Clone Troopers. Um, I am actually very, very happy with how they portrayed them. Within the Clone Wars, you you admire them. They're soldiers of the Republic. They're looked up to. But then once Order 66 happens, that inhibitor chip, the way I view it, and I think it's somewhat in line with the extended universe, is that once that chip is activated with Order 66, it basically opens up all the aggressive behaviors of Django Fett that that inhibitor chip was holding back. Like what the Kaminoans say in the episodes where they're trying to figure out what happened to Tup is that the inhibitor chip was to dial back on that aggressive behavior that Jango Fett had. And once that's activated, it stays activated. So it, it doesn't shut off. So that's why they're aggressive in this episode second episode and probably what we're going to see in canon for the rest of the season um and i also wanted to point it out i like what they did with the tactics of the clones once they started to attack it's in like a lot of the comic stuff is that they knew that if you were going to defeat a jedi who could block blaster bolts use the force send bolts back at you is you had to overwhelm their defense so you see them they're all attacking deep a from one side but then they kind of swarm around her. So then it becomes too hard. She can't block everything from a 360 degree view. And that's what happens. That's how they disarmed her. Because if you see it, she actually loses her lightsaber before she dies. Which So I, I thought that was cool. Um, I do like what they did with Crosshair. As far as him kind of having that transition to obeying Order 66. Um, and when Tech and Echo were talking about Well, why did it happen to them and not us? Or Echo, because he was a reg at one point. And then Tech starts talking about their programming, where Wrecker's stronger. He's got the smarts. Hunter's got his electrical senses. And Crosshair was his enhanced shooting skills. So I'm almost thinking the only thing that was tampered with Crosshair was that specifically. He does look different, but I don't think he had like a lot of modifications to where that chip was canceled out like it was with Hunter or Wrecker or Tech. Um, yeah, there's just so much to talk about. Um, then, as far as the clones go, you had mentioned, Aaron. you wanted to explore more with Omega, and I've seen a couple theories um, that she's actually, not only is she the last clone, but she's also Force-sensitive, which might be the explanation of when she goes to Crosshair, she goes, I know what you're thinking, please don't do it. So she might have that force connection where she's able to read read or know someone's emotions and off that be able to read what they're going to do. Do so, you think do we think that Omega is either force
3: sensitive or somehow infused with the force as like a prototype of a clone trooper 2.0 which is like a force trooper? Um, yeah,
2: yeah, I mean definitely. That's what I think. Cuz it could also even be a little bit of tampering with the you know the and clones for Palpatine leading into further down the line where you have mm-hmm. the sequels. Mm-hmm.
1: That's so that and that's that's where I'm I'm a little bit conflicted. The impression I got about Omega what in the show, in the episode, was that the only people, the only characters who seemed to know anything about her was basically the Kaminoans. She was like this off in the corner like nobody nobody knows who she is nobody knows what's going on with her nobody has any background on her um and even Tarkin Tarkin had no idea who she was or what that was yeah that's true I'm struggling to find a reason for the Kaminoans completely on their own without any unless Palpatine was somewhere in the background telling them to work on a force sensitive clone why would they do that why would they just on their own in the corner over here dabble with trying to make a force-sensitive clone? Mm-hmm. And then, and then if they and if they did, and if they were, if if Palpatine was the one behind that, why would they then facilitate her escape? Which is what they clearly did. Like they they helped her get away. So I, I'm struggling. Like, is this is she force-sensitive, or is she just? an enhanced clone with other special powers or combination of powers i've heard one theory that that she's just a combination of all their powers which is where i (laughs) feel makes more sense in the story even though i see right like but then there's another part that's like oh this is disney setting up a throughput to palpatine cloning himself or whatever right like Mm
3: -hmm. i think yeah like my evidence for why she might be force infused is a didn't they involve, like, a Jedi? Um, like, the whole point of Obi-Wan coming there to Kamino, which was off the charts, was that there was this Jedi that was tinkering with them, or that they were... The, the, Kam- the Kaminoans were... Their account executive was this Jedi. I forgot his name.
0: Uh, like um, Diaz.
3: Yeah, so, like, there's a Jedi involved, which is Force involved, which is Council involved, slash Senate involved. But now the Kaminoans are finding themselves potentially on the wrong side of the politics because the political landscape changed. And, you know, in, in Mandalorian, the scientist has the Kaminoan mm-hmm. outfit on. Like, I feel like something's going to happen with the Kaminoans, but that facility is going to get taken over by Tarkin and such. And that it becomes like an Imperial research facility. And they want to get to the bottom of, Hey, what were you working on with this Omega? Like that is promising. We want to know more about that and you know they get it out of them or whatever um, and maybe there's like a, a manhunt as it were for this Omega just like with the child right there's a manhunt for this child there's yeah. a manhunt for Omega because she's got the key to like uh, a force flown army or whatever um, or just or even now like you said like it's the beginnings of Palpatine's like resurrection insurance policy plan thing that he's trying to do that he obviously pulled off because of Rise of Skywalker like it's this setting the the 50-year arc to tie <laughs> 50 years before Rise of Skywalker, uh, and suddenly Palpatine is just entering stage left as a resurrected clone or whatever. They need to explain that, and they start those seeds with the story, perhaps. I, and also, you can tie in Baby Yoda to that.
1: I feel. I mm. feel like. I feel like that would. I mean, my personal take on that is that would be lame. Like. I mean, I'm saying like to to rehash that exact storyline. Oh, we found this kid, and they're force sensitive, and now we gotta protect them, you know. And I mean, I feel like that might be too on point. A rehashed formula. Yeah, I mean, like if you literally, the only two shows that we've gotten so far would both be as their central storyline about a force sensitive young character that needs to be protected by. These less than refined, you know, military or warrior or Boba Fett or whatever uh, bounty hunter. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if they would go that route and make it so explicitly
3: the same. I, I mean, it's hard because it's like be on a meta level, it's like, it's like, hey, hey, Mandalorian was an awesome formula. Let's just recreate the formula because it was a winning formula. and Let's do it again, a different, like same but different. That's like the cynical business center view of it. <laughs>
1: I've, I've, I, was hear, I was hearing something though today, and I, I know that, and I'm I'm not I haven't gone as far back, but I know that Bad Batch, the Bad Batch characters, and even this series has been worked on for years. So I don't know which came first, the chicken or the egg, but I'm pretty sure that Bad Batch, as a, as a cast of characters, and maybe even as a series, may have been in development even prior to Mandalorian and the storyline with Grogu, um, but again mm-hmm. i guess at this point we're all it's all speculation right because the show hasn't told us mm-hmm.
3: either way where it's going yeah but yeah. i mean it could just be hinting i mean i i thought it was uncanny how many beats were being hit with mandalorian like so yeah. many yeah. and i was like is this intentional where they're like baiting and switching us and they're going to take it in a new direction uh, in the meantime they're just tickling the itch of like hey you guys remember mandalorian like this will remind you of that for a little bit and then you can wait into this and then we're gonna yeah. take it somewhere.
1: I hope. I or, is it, I, or are
3: they like literally just copying the story? I really you hope know, they're not like, copying Let's try the that again. Mm-hmm. That's my take <laughs> I can't <table>. tell yet. <laughs> 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 because Dave Poloni's behind it both, so I'm like, he wouldn't just like- No, I don't like, think he, he would. He's too creative for that. I but think... he's also enough of a troll that he would be like, yeah, let me bait you into this and I'm gonna switch you up. I think road. that they would be opening
1: themselves up to a tremendous amount of criticism if they make that if they follow that plot line too closely because that was one of the criticisms of the sequel trilogy was this is just a rehashing of the original trilogy and that's lazy and give us something original Um, and And unlike
3: Mandalorian which had like you know they had that neat three episode arc at the beginning right and it's like at the end of that third episode he's reunited with Grogu and he's off to like find like let's go figure you out let's go find your people and slash my people are scattered right so all of the mandos are scattered so it kind of was open-ended but i don't i don't really know where what is the new, what is the plot now like they helped that family get off the, off the planet uh i guess we're talking about episode two slowly here but it's like what what is the uh, MacGuffin now right what is the point what is the plot thing that's driving the plot forward
1: um,
0: because they
3: have her. They decided she's with them. But what are they? Where are they going? What are they doing? Uh, what's the next thing they're supposed to do? You know. I think it's <laughs> I don't
1: conceivable that the Bad Batch is the MacGuffin.
0: <laughs> I, yeah, I think I think survival was basically the MacGuffin of uh, the Bad Batch
1: crew. Uh, and Crosshair is going to be like leading the charge to hunt them down in some kind of way. That's my guess.
3: Yeah. Well, we weren't given any any like methodology of how they're be- going to be hunted down. Like it would have been nice to see crosshair back in episode two in some way of like or some kind of hint that like they're being watched still or they're being tracked because we don't know what's going on episode two was kind of a side a side tale in that sense where like our team is off on their own thing but we don't know where the other where the cat and mouse we don't know where the cat is right now for sure
1: justin's like and dislikes we haven't heard oh okay
0: um (laughs) I'll start with uh, likes. So, um, what I liked about the episode: great introduction. I feel like uh, even if you haven't seen the Clone Wars at all, it was very easy to follow, and uh, I, I did like the Bad Batch crew uh, from uh, uh, season seven. Um, I knew that there was going to be a disconnect between that, that story arc and like the rest of the story in season seven because um, this was an episode that was like pre-done uh, before. Season 7 was, like, re-greenlit uh, by Disney. Um, there was, like, an unfinished episode uh, with the Bad Batch. There was even a deleted scene where uh, their shuttle had, like, like this... Padme. Uh, Padme. Like, Padme, <laughs> like Padme. Padme uh, art on their... <laughs> 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 on the hall of their ship that probably wouldn't pass by Disney now, <laughs> Look, records just going to like, oh, she can negotiate
1: with me anytime. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: but yeah, the the and plus there were some uh, episodes that have never been um, shown, but that they were gonna they were gonna have like a arc for the Bad Batch on uh, Kashyyyk mm. um, that uh, never saw the light of day, except for some unfinished animation segments maybe they're setting that up for like maybe later episodes who knows because um, the uh, animation style is not too different from uh uh in the bad batch it's not too different from the clone wars or if or if there's any difference at all um but um yeah uh when i heard depa Balaba was uh at the beginning i was like please show young caleb or or kanan for right now he's called caleb so let's call him caleb um, uh, the voice did throw me off a bit. Um, like I, I was glad to hear Freddie Prince Jr.'s voice again, but it did kind of feel a bit out of place for me. But then, then again, it was a little bit higher pitched than usual, like for his usual tone. But yeah, it it, it was fun. But uh, I, I felt like if he had a younger kid, I think it would have gotten the job done a bit better. But I think it, for the audience, they just threw the same guy um order 66 uh as it as we all previously said i i I was a huge fan of the keenan comics and um i think i liked the way that they uh dealt with it in the comics a bit better i'm taking a page out of david's uh, methodology uh, as as far as uh saying books are better so yeah um but I, i think it was still handled great either way um Omega, I, I, I'm definitely in that speculation boat as well. Uh, but my, my speculation was that uh, she was a combination of uh, all four of them. Um, maybe Wreckers Strength hasn't, hasn't uh, showed up yet. But who knows. And I think Crosshair is the um, antagonist of the show. It will make the show very interesting. Because it's 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 an opponent that they don't want to get rid of. Uh, but at the same time they know that yeah he's he's a threat uh he's been with us the whole time we know how he works so yeah just just love the first episode and uh I, th- I think we'll start with ratings so I would give this a good eight out of uh, eight out of ten uh Aaron what's what's your rating
1: oof man that's tough I, I think I'm gonna go with my gut I mean like when I finished watching it the first time I was I was right up, like, 9 out of 10. Like, I feel like it was... For me, it was as good a Star Wars episode of anything that I've ever seen. So it was at least, it was a 9 out of 10 for me.
2: I'd have to agree uh, with you, Aaron. Um, I like that it was a really serious episode, but they still all made it fun. Especially with the food fight and Wrecker and Tech, them arguing about the programming. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that was... Just good, good humor at it. Yeah.
1: I loved Wrecker Re- attempting to have a philosophical conversation about his free will. It was just hilarious. Like, I love it. I just like direct things. Don't tell me I
2: was programmed that way. And he just slams his <laughs> fist down and everyone just turns and looks at him. Yeah, so I'd have to say that was probably 8.5 or 9 out of 10. Yeah.
0: Uh, what, what, what's your rating, Sean?
2: Yeah, I think 8.5 to 9
3: out of 10 for me. Um, I mean i kind of grade all the animated stuff on its own scale i guess um and it's right up there with the some of the you know the final episodes of season seven of clone wars and such um and it was a big step up from their arc in the clone wars season seven and then then even especially in context of episode two it definitely holds in my head uh april five or nine
0: all right let's dive into episode two
1: uh, episode two Uh, So briefly, episode two, uh, titled Cut and Run, which I thought was really creative. Mm -hmm. Um, Just the way that it could have been referring to what the Bad Batch was doing leading into the episode, right? Cut and Run from Kamino. Um, And then you had Cut, the character in the episode, and then Cut and Run is actually what happens to Cut in the episode is he cuts and runs, right? Like he cuts ties on that planet and, and takes off. so. I love that. That that was a really creative title that I thought was really interesting. Um, but basically, I mean, we get uh, the Bad Batch and Omega arriving. On, I don't remember the name of the planet for some reason. Um, but um, we get them arriving to visit Cut, and they have a history, um, and they meet and, and talk. Um, I I think it's worth pointing out the the one of the. The scene where Omega steps on a planet other than Camino for the first time, I thought was just amazing. And that was a really cool story beat there. Um, uh, They meet and talk. Um, There's some discussion about, you know, what's going on or what happened or whatever. We find out that Rex had been there just the previous day, which I thought was crazy. Um, So obviously we know he's showing up. I just didn't realize they were going to tell us that explicitly, like... Yeah, he's right. He's, he's probably going to be in the next episode, I would guess, since he was just there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have the, um, we had the one little side thing with kids playing ball and then Omega almost being torn apart by a an Nexu. <laughs> and, the, and the whole little parenting lesson that we we got there where like Cut and his wife are a little bit more parental. And the Bad Batch is like, you know, like, what are you doing? you know, like, that was really interesting, um. Uh, and then we have um, the kind of the whole escape sequence, which I thought was really interesting. I think what I really am appreciating what I think was really cool about this episode was we had that imperial presence, like you know, like how it's like it's it's just there. It's like and it's like it's impeding all of our heroes and main characters. And so that whole sequence of the escape from from the planet was was pretty compelling. It, it was the sequence in the show that gave all the, the bad batch the opportunity to show their their you know different skills which i thought was cool so then the main one of the main things of the story was the decision that they made to keep omega there that they're not going to leave her with them and that she was really compelled to stay with them which i guess you know we can speculate on it <laughs> probably would have been better for her to not go with them you know since they are like gonna do all this dangerous stuff but but obviously that's not the story um but yeah so then that kind of Sets them back on their way, like in, into whatever the story is going to be. I think it, you know, definitely uh, it picked right up from, you know, like there was no time gap that I'm aware of. I mean, they were in, they went into hyperspace right at the end of the first episode, and then and then they come out of hyperspace, and there we go. So, yeah. But that's a that's basically the episode. Am I missing anything? Not,
0: Not really. really. So, uh, Sean, what are your thoughts on this episode?
3: I thought it was it was quite predictable. Like I wasn't surprised at anything that happened. Um, The only thing I guess I was surprised of is how quickly Cut and Sue were like, yeah, we're going to get out of (laughs) here. Like I understand they want to be under the radar. Um, And I guess there was always a clone presence on the, on the planet, which I would, I I, I found surprising because he's like a deserter, right? So he would want to be far away from wherever clones are, whether they're the good guys or the quote unquote bad guys now um so I, I just i don't know like it doesn't seem like somebody who's like set himself as a farmer can just uproot and just leave so fast but that was kind of abrupt i guess but you know kind of the meta of that of his his whole arc of like yeah i'm gonna like know behind this whole thing and be like i'm gonna marry somebody have raise her kids with her um check out of this war not take sides just kind of lay low Is just uh an interesting path um You know, in Star Wars, for someone to be like, I'm opting out of the wars part of that is kind of interesting Um, and controversial, right? Someone would say, someone would say, yeah, it's cowardly, you're not engaged in the battle. You know, I have a feeling that like when the rebellion comes up, it's like pick sides, right? You're either with us or against us in this kind of binary thinking. He kind of represents the third way of like, you know, nah, (laughs) like, we'll just narrow a scope of what we're responsible for morally. Um, and in his case, it's prioritizing the safety of his family over other higher concerns about, you know, a cosmic war or whatever. And I just, and he's it's an interesting character. They haven't, haven't had really someone like that. And uncle Owen was kind of similar, but in a more cynical way, or he was obviously portrayed in a negative light as being like the, don't put your head where it doesn't belong and just stay out of it. Um, keep your head grounded. Don't have your head in the stars all the time. Um, and he's kind of a different, more perhaps more positive uh, or optimistic look at that angle of like what was life like for everyday people, um, and especially in this context where the sides kind of flipped or whatever. It's like, well, you know, we had a republic, they had a clone army, and I was like, maybe on board with that. There was separatists, which you may or may not agree with, but now we're talking about like this empire, and there's this cult around this empire, and it, you know, it's getting kind of weird and scary, uh, and they're like swapping out the currency for this like basically cryptocurrency where you have to be like marked or have your you have to have your chain code to transact any business like that's a lot different than what he was probably used to which is like trading his crops for various like a barter based or just a local currency thing like that's a big deal um and it's an interesting kind of angle that to get a little bit micro in the series instead of like this cosmic view or galactic view of interplanetary stuff it kind of is like you know what is life like for regular people when there's a regime change in, you know in your government <laughs> or, that you didn't pick or you didn't choose it just is happening to you and like how does that sort out and that was interesting to see for me um but as far as like the plot points it was it was utterly predictable um not in a bad way just not the same as um the first episode where i wasn't sure what's was going to happen next all right uh david any
0: thoughts
2: yeah, I, I thought it was a, a good episode. Um, knew it wasn't going to be as action packed. And for kind of a mystery survival action TV show, I have a feeling that's kind of going to be hit or miss throughout the whole season. Because they aren't trying to survive, there's going to be action with it. As they're, as they're trying to survive, then it also depends on the storyline, too. But I, I kind of agree with kind of what Sean was saying um, as far as them just picking up and leaving out of the blue. I thought that was a a little hasty. Um, I like a lot of the storytelling with Omega kind of getting onto an actual planet um, and then kind of her kind of trying to figure herself out as well as everyone else. Like when they were out playing ball and she had no idea what to do. (laughs) Why would would you you even do this? uh, What's the purpose of this? (laughs) To have fun. (laughs) So I, I thought that was cool. I
3: strongly swim. identified with that because I'm not into, like, group sports. So it's like, oh, no. like, here, do this thing.
2: I'm like, why? It's fun. I'm like, is it all? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I liked, like, when the ball went out, they were like, well, I'll go get the ball. No, no, we'll, we'll get it later. It's outside the fence. Well, what? why is the reason not to go outside the fence? Because you'll get eaten, that's why. <laughs> and then the, the different... Um, advice given from like hunter who's like you had mentioned aaron military this is what you do this is what you don't do and it's just straight up in your face whereas like the parental role is more comforting you know learn you learn from the kids kids learn from you but you also have to to kind of teach them a rather than drill instructor this, right, start right. doing push-ups. You right. um, went on the fence line, drop and give me 20. What are you thinking?
3: <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. It, this one especially hit more beats. Like this one had the same pace almost or the same arc as like episode two of Mandalorian season one. So like he's stuck with the kid. He His ship gets impounded. That happens in both episodes, Right. You know like and then they meet well, to, they, they, they meet a mentor, on purpose, though, right this one <laughs> yeah, I know but like I'm saying like their ability to get off the planet is impeded and they have to overcome that to to be able to leave so for one it was the jaws and for this one it was impounded um and then they meet a mentor right so queel is is the mentor that they have to learn from and then you could say cut is the mentor they have to learn from in this one uh like it just to me it's just so on the nose like narratively that I, there's got to be something to that either cynically business driven as like we're just going to carbon copy Mandalorian flow because that worked um, which I don't think it is but the cynic in me thinks it is <laughs> um, and I think it's just maybe it's just like a generic enough template that works that it's not like necessarily cloning Mandalorian but it's like you set up a show and then episode two you kind of go a little more personal right something in the I don't know it just it hit too many beats for me to be like this can't just be a coincidence there's gotta be something going on here <laughs> uh, especially those three main things like you can't leave the planet for some reason and then you're stuck with this kid and you have to like you're deepening the relationship with this person so like hunter is on a journey from soldier to now he has to be in this forced father role and learning what that's like and what is that about which the same thing was with and you have to figure out like how to not be just a mercenary uh and then there's this mentor role that is this mentor presence is in is in their life now um, which in this case is like a peer with Quill. It was like truly a father figure or a, an uncle figure, I guess you could say, um, who taught him some things along the way. I mean, it, was, it was kind of interesting to me those parallels. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah.
0: Or, or or like what George George used to say, it's poetry, so so it rhymes. <laughs> 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 That's a creative way of putting it. But mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
3: So like, was that like, was Dave Filoni? Like, I am giving a nod to the rhyme but I'm not telling you I'm not just carbon copying it I'm I'm giving you a tribute of it or is it like I was forced to make it rhyme <laughs> against my will
2: you know what I mean mm-hmm. I can't decide oh, yeah. which mm-hmm. one it is
3: mm-hmm.
2: yeah the only other thing I would mention from this episode is the firefight that they get into with the, the now stormtroopers um, and it is really weird seeing clone troopers with no markings. Like, mm-hmm. you go through all the Clone Wars, they have their, you know, the 501st has their blue, the, what was it, the 212th, which is Obi Wan's, mm-hmm. has like the yellow, you have the mm-hmm. green, uh, all these different colors, but then once the Empire's formed, it's everything's sh- straight white. Mm-hmm. Which, it's kind, of, it, it, it's kind of, I don't know if haunting's the right word to say, but you know what's coming mm-hmm. is that they're being turned into stormtroopers. With no designated company or division, it's all of the Empire, if that makes sense.
3: I guess I, I forgot to mention this last time, but it plays in here, too. There was that little discussion, I think, between Tarkin and the Prime Minister of Kamino. And uh, they basically made it explicit what we always thought, which is, like, the reason that there's not clone stormtroopers in the future is because they are twice as expensive. Right. Or they, they think they can get half price. Recruits, which explains a lot, right? Because like obviously the clone, the clones are more adept and everything. And like when you replace over 20 years, when the clones die out or whatever, and you replace them with recruits or conscripts, you're not getting the cream of the crop, you know, custom-made models. You're getting like kids who can't shoot, you know. Um, But we're still in the phase where like every, almost every stormtrooper is a clone, and so we hopefully we'll see a little bit more prowess and. Technical proficiency from these guys, then we see the blundering idiots that are stormtroopers later on. Especially like in, like in Mandalorian, at the end of that first season, when those two scout troopers are just dinking around and like they like made an on the nose joke about how bad at, at aiming they are. <laughs> like, does it because those are just two guys probably from that planet were just on patrol duty, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. And, that, that but we're still in the like elite core, hardened war veterans era of. Of clones and i hope that they make the most of that um, and show like actual they're an actual menacing presence and maybe that's how that is how the government how the emperor through the governors like the moths and stuff through these elite stormtrooper cores is able to quickly get such a hard control over the galaxy is because of that the, they really were elite stormtroopers and maybe and maybe 20 years later like the stormtroopers reputation is built in these first years of fear and control and like even when the people behind those outfits are less adept like that they're kind of riding on the reputation right so it's like if you had hardcore legionnaires in roman times and then people wearing legionnaire outfits later but they're not legionnaires and not trained the same they're not whatever but like that projection of force and fear is still there and that's the tool that's used um i wonder if they're gonna go at, at all in the uh, like let let's explore this stormtrooper tran- transition from clone to stormtrooper, um, either directly through personal characters we might know, or just in general, we can see the progression or regression, I guess you could say from elite troopers to <laughs> bumbling idiots, um, that were presented later yeah. on with, um, yeah. I don't know, like it, it, but that might be like a retcon because like, I don't know if they meant to make them such bumbling idiots in the show or in the movies before, or is it just plot armor? Right. It's like, I know they say, like, oh, Luke and Leia and Han got out of the Death Star because the Stormtroopers were ordered not to kill them, just to, like, funnel them back to the Falcon so they could escape on purpose, right? Um, and it's, like, retconned as, like, the reason why. But it's, like, really, it's, like, it, we need exciting blaster explosions in the movie, and we can't really put our heroes in actual danger. So that's why, like, really, that's why they are so bad, you know? Yeah, <laughs> they really yeah. are that bad, I, would, I mean?
2: Yeah, I would definitely say it's the plot armor. The good guys
1: are always a better shot (laughs) when the when the clones were the good guys they could wipe out the 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 droids no problem like it was like droids couldn't hit the side of a barn clones would wipe them out and as soon as the clones become the imperials or whatever or the stormtroopers right like like if the good guys i mean i think star wars does, does it a little more sloppily but generally speaking in star wars like the good guys are almost invincible and the bad guys are just total schlubs i, I, I mean. will
3: say rebels don't. is the is the apex of that like in rebels it is that is the strongest plot armor right it's like yes, yes. Are only <laughs> the don't, go don't go there don't go there but i mean that's also tailored to that audience like if it's for if it's like a tv whatever uh y10 or whatever age age 10 to 12 year old target like right. it needs to be right. exciting space uh, laser battles without like actual peril and actual like nail biting chaos of combat, you know? Mm-hmm. Um and like the the action serves more to like, oh, I'm pinned down and like that's just convenient because we need somebody else to maneuver over here while they're quote unquote pinned down and then when they don't need to be pinned down anymore they can suddenly reemerge and start shooting back and not be pinned down anymore. And it's like okay. <laughs> Whatever <laughs> <laughs> this really works.
2: It's Star Wars. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll just, yeah, I'll, just yeah. I'll just say one more thing about the stormtroopers. The only time where they, they just get completely wasted and it's justifiable is when Boba Fett goes after him with uh, the Gaffi stick and when he's got his armor and when uh, Bo-Katan and the Night Owls and Din storm the the, the cruiser. you That is justifiable because skill set-wise, they're completely outmatched. That makes sense.
1: Whereas Endor well, and teddy
2: Bear's... Just doesn't even cut it.
1: Because right? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, those those teddy bears were pretty freaking technologically advanced and battle hard. that's why the one was on the
0: walker beating the steel foot
3: with a little hammer. Yeah. Oh, a
1: rock so hit my trial, head, and I'm wearing a helmet, in, but I'm yeah, dead. In
3: this show, in Rebels, in um, even in Mando, like whenever I see like somebody like pop up and hey, you're you're two stormtroopers, and I'm going to surprise you, and I'm going to bash your heads together, and you'll suddenly be knocked out sorry they're wearing helmets like do anything. Yeah.
0: yeah record did three <laughs> yeah
3: record that. i was like oh man he's of course he's gonna do that why would that work that would not work i'm sorry it wouldn't work unless you crushed it like i believe boba fett's gaffy stick i believe that you know what i mean because you see mm-hmm. the plastic sh- shattering everywhere i don't believe like a, a little bit of a tap to the head that's no worse than a football like scrum right uh like that's not gonna knock anyone out i'm sorry <laughs>
2: Okay, can we please, um, please move on from back, to purpose? Back to episode yeah, two. I was going to ask <laughs> oh, okay. a question.
3: Do we, do we think we're going to see Cut and Sue again?
0: Um, I don't um, think so. Yeah, probably
3: not. So if not, <coughs> if, if, there's, if we're not going to see him again, what was the point of this episode as far as like, the major plot? What, what did it, where did we go from? What was point A, what was point B as far as our core characters? And what, what place did they move from to the place they moved to narratively?
1: For me, I think it, the episode served two purposes. One was to show how the Imperial presence was going to be the main, like, like the way that the Empire was just, you know, instantly turning life into kind of hell for everyone and taking control. Um, and it was, you know, they had to get off of Camino um, and show what I think the universe is like under imperial control and kind of like what you were getting at Sean like for for everyday people like people on a more like you know obscure planet and yet here's the Empire with like you know pretty much taking over Um, and I think that that was that was important to do I think that the other piece which I thought was not done so well but I guess is necessary maybe which is the whole um, hey what do we do with this kid right kind of like similar to to baby yoda or grogu or whatever which i mean to me the weak point of the episode was like i get i get doing that like having to set up like this thing where it's like where the gruff soldiers don't know what to do with this kid like how do you change a diaper i don't know like get rid of this kid like i don't you know and then they go oh yeah no we'll keep her you know um but the problem with that episode for me was like it reminded me a lot of the episode where where uh mando speculates about leaving grogu on that fish farm planet Mm. and Mm -hmm. and like when you're watching that you're just like well we know that's not going to happen so there's no suspense in it right it's not really about that it's about the character developing this parental bond or this this soft spot for this character that is important to the story and that I think that kind of served to develop the clone, especially um, Hunter's character, right? As like, he's the leader and they needed to get him to the place where he's like more of a father figure who wants to lead the group. Um, But I do, I really like that Omega wasn't like, I've heard people, I was listening to one person talk about how different Omega was from like um, uh, Ahsoka slash Snips and Ezra who are both, arguably very annoying when you first meet them mm-hmm. like they're just like cocky and sassy and kind of just like what are you who are you shut up you're a little kid you know whereas Omega is much more like mature and yeah just a different kind of character which I thought was really interesting And she had more of a like like Ezra was more like nagging you know and, and kind of annoying mm-hmm. or, and, and Ahsoka initially when she was introduced was like you know like kind of like that, and Omega was less like that. I think that established her character as pretty unique. Um, but I don't think that the... Yeah, I
3: was worried that she was going to be annoying. I was worried in the trailers that she was going to be like Veruca uh, from Willy Wonka, like a spoiled brat princess child. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> the fact, but the fact that she's basically been raised by the Kaminoans, who are this very kind of diplomatic, uh, poised race, right? Like, it, she's, like, very stoic or whatever in that sense like she is a child technically have like 12 or whatever but she's not um been socialized as a skilled yeah. brat human she's been socialized by this like diplomatic race that's very kind of low-key and quiet and like methodical um so yeah i'm glad that they didn't make her into that, that trio she... of annoying kid characters are just rolling your eyes like ugh. Yeah, which is this person matures. She's a very,
1: <laughs> I think she's a, the more I think about it, especially after the first, like, she's an interesting character, like from the level of like debating her force sensitivity or like, I mean, they do explicitly tell us that she is like the Bad Batch. She's a, she's a, an altered clone.
3: Um, I mean, she's altered, but like they're defective. And so they're like, you're the fifth defective clone. But what were they trying to affect? That right didn't work so he's, she's like a reject a ba- bad batch like what were they trying to do with her and what about her is like actually defective i don't, but because, I, don't I
1: don't but then at the know? same time like she's depicted as being incredibly intelligent um at least from my understanding and like mm-hmm. one of the the, the the clones in the in the in the food fight scene they're like they call her lab Scrapper. like mm-hmm. like she's she's i i could be wrong but my impression was that she's really smart and that the, the the Kaminoans have raised her in in science in, in the sciences, like she's like really smart, and that she's she's kind of maybe engineered to be really exceptional. I don't know, but at a, at a minimum, she just wasn't that whiny, annoying mm-hmm. street rat. I and she does something
2: got. impressive. She shoots the sniper rifle out of Palosier's yeah. hands.
1: Yeah, interesting. Never held held a blaster before. It'd be interesting to see where that goes. I think overall what I would say about about the second episode was that is there really any episode that can come after the first one like it's half the length it's you know now we're back to reality like it's like you know we got the stellar 1 hour 15 minute premiere epic you know story beats I mean there was no way we were going to get something on that level in the second episode and I think that that played out you know it was pretty basic pretty standard pretty Hard for the course um but i don't know i i for some reason for some reason the the whole thing with omega when she gets off the ship and she picks up the sand the dirt and that i don't know that i don't know what it was about that but there was something about that that was again like i felt like it was very unique for the kid characters that you usually see in the shows Usually, the kid characters are just like they don't pay attention to anything and she's like right in the details of things she's like what is this like wow like and then the scenes with her not knowing how to play with the kids was really interesting like there's just something about her character i think that they're doing something different like um and that i thought was they did it well in this episode even though there wasn't really any suspense i guess you could make the argument that the episode didn't drive forward the plot per se but it was character development and I think mm-hmm. it was like, I, I if I were to compare this episode to say like the Mandalorian episode with frog lady and the, and the ice spiders, where I'm just like, I don't see the point of that at all. Um, whereas this episode actually had a little bit of maybe a little more purpose to it, I guess. But.
3: Yeah. I mean, it struck that balance because like you said, with that episode or with that episode where it doesn't seem like a plot advanced then it's like oh it's character development but yeah that frog episode was like didn't seem to have any plot or character development at least none that mattered um so it's like that's where you call it a filler and i wouldn't call this filler this moved the plot it moved the characters forward in a a way and flushed them out but didn't necessarily move the plot forward as far as like we don't know where they need to go next because it was oh we need to go see this guy on this planet that we're keeping mysterious but then we find out it's cut on this planet um, but we don't know where they're going next now necessarily at least I didn't catch it if they did say where they're going and what they're going to be doing Like, what's their new mission you know is it just to stay low wait to lay low uh, I think they really don't and, know for how long they're, they're, and, you know I, I don't know what I bet you'll try to and then like that's not going to go well like they're going to try to lay low and they're going to get found or caught and then it's going to be a cat and mouse thing
0: hmm Alrighty, so uh, what I like and uh, dislike about the episode, um, first likes, um, it was fun, like we finally get to sit down and uh, get to know these characters a little bit more, a little bit more about Hunter, a little bit more about Vought Wrecker, Um, not not so much about Tech and uh, Echo, which um, Echo I kind of feel like kind of gets put on the side burner, like even Mm -hmm. for like the first episode and the last, but I think it would be kind of cool to explore like his place in the Bad Batch and him being the most uh, uh, not the most recent edition but like what, a very recent edition nonetheless uh, I liked seeing uh, Cut and Sue again uh, it was kind of cool because they were uh, uh, that, I remember that story arc very well from season 2 of the Clone Wars
2: no food fights in this episode
0: oh yeah no, no food fights and uh and uh over, overall um very predictable but again still had fun um so i think uh we'll start grading this episode now i'd give it a
1: good seven out of ten uh what what, do you, what would you grade this aaron yeah i would be right right about at a seven maybe even six and a half seven i think it was for what it was trying to do it did it fine but like it again and i, I think i think the part of me that that gets the, the hangover from he- episode one part of me gives it a six and a half but if I judge it on its own I give it a seven because like it's like okay like it was alright like um, so yeah I would say seven yeah I think I, I like to reserve my eight nine and ten for like really the episodes that really get me in any particular show um, and mm-hmm. this didn't def- definitely didn't do that but still really good and part of the story
0: uh, Sean what what's your grade on this one?
3: I guess I have to say six, because um, I suspect that this will be a skip a uh, bowl episode in a rewatch, but not an automatic skip, which would be like a three or maybe a four and below. So I mean, obviously it's only two episodes, and I don't know where this will rank in that setting. But like, that's kind of how I go: is like seven and up is like must, must like don't skip in a rewatch. Five, six is take or leave it. And then four or three and below is like definitely going to skip it on a rewatch. Um, either because it's not not needed or it's not even entertaining, even if it's not needed. So I think it's in that six where it's like it's watchable uh, on a rewatch, but not essential, perhaps. Um, and it was enjoyable
2: enough. All right, David. Yeah, I, I, I'd probably be right along with you guys. Probably like a six, six and a half or seven. Um, more for kind of like what you were saying here, character development rather than the actual storyline. And I think it's going to lead into probably a rather action-packed or another really plot-driven episode for the next one.
0: Alrighty, I think that wraps up our uh, Bad Batch uh, segments for Trencher Report. Um, if, if you like the show, uh, please follow us on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And uh, you can find us anywhere on any podcasting platforms. Um, if you want to follow us individually, I am BootsFet on Twitter and Instagram. You can find Aaron at BroRusso on uh, Twitter and Instagram. And you can find David at Nova Yoda um, on Instagram where he does uh, Star Wars drawings that are very awesome. I actually own one of them. So uh, please go check those out. And uh, until next time, we'll be back for uh, Episode 3 of The Bad Batch. And uh, may the Force be with you. Always. Always.